So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. So on Facebook, um, if you type in at Folk on Falcons, you'll see our picture. Uh, on Twitter, again, it's the same, at Folk on Falcons. And if you'd like to send us an email, it's folkonfalcons at mail.com. This week we'll talk about our defeat to Saracens. Once again, not quite enough for the whole 80. Look forward to Bristol next week. We'll have a quick chat with the Bristol Bears podcast and um, go over a couple of rugby matters in the wider world and then round up the results. So, as I just mentioned, Saracens, good start for 20 minutes, half an hour, and then it fell to pieces and we got comprehensively beaten in the end. We just threw it away, didn't we? Yeah, a similar story, actually, to quite often when we go down there. Um, It's exactly to say there, we seem to be in complete control. We're weathering sort of early storms from them as well. And two really well-taken tries by Brown and Stevenson. But as you say, it was just sort of lost control. It was the discipline. I mean, you can all say things perhaps about the referee, but it was that period just for half-time, wasn't it, when McGuigan got Simbin, obviously conceded the penalty try. And then they scored just before he managed to come on, which, you know, may well have maybe improved our chances of keeping them out for half-time. But that was really the killer. And then we didn't help ourselves with the criminal penalty count in the second half and I think Saracens sort of got themselves into gear and kind of played the game they play which is just strangling the life out of teams or the forwards are really really good and it's not often we've said that in this podcast where we've seen opposition forwards really dominate ours but second half that was definitely the case I thought a couple of our tries were a little bit soft particularly the Runipolo one um, just sort of part, parting the Red Sea, really, wasn't it? He just sort of waddled through and dived over. But yeah, it was disappointing. And then at the end of the game, I said it was frustrating. And I, I still feel frustrated by it. Yeah, and then another soft one. I think uh, George, when we gave him that tap penalty where he took it quickly, it was just schoolboy stuff. Everyone, everyone turned their backs and he jumped over. But yeah, as you mentioned, I think that if we go through the game in kind of vaguely chronological order, we, we started off very strongly and got the... The first try, and then um, we end up getting a second one with Stevenson skinning Farrell on the outside after a very good turnover, actually, from Conan, where he ripped the ball off for Nipola. But then we let Saracens get a foothold in the game. We were doing a lot of box kicks, which the first time we've seen them this season. We weren't really competing for those when they went up. They came down and Saracens caught them without much pressure, and it gave them a good platform to either boot it back to us sort of run at us. And then we started this penalty count, and as you say, it was criminal. Must have been half a dozen penalties committed by us with zero committed by Saracens over a period of about 15 minutes and Saracens line out the way it was functioning and um, the referee was pinging us in every single mall for offences where I think that we're a bit hard done by this he wasn't necessarily being consistent when we had a line out but that's the way it was and we're on the wrong side of the referee the morning effectively and there's very little you can do in that situation we just got outplayed but by then for a good half hour and then towards the end the subs came on I thought Wakoki Koki and Blemeyer both played well and had Blemeyer's interception stuck we might have ended up back level at that point in time and then potentially had been playing for it at the end but as it happened we um Ended up with nothing from the game after starting so promisingly. And it was very frustrating that once again, last play of the game, we lost a bonus point. Yeah, it's, it's exactly that. Um, it, it's killing us. And I know it's only four games in, but unfortunately a pattern is emerging where we just don't clinch those bonus points. Um, you know, we're in a position where I think every every rugby fan who follows the Premiership will, will be in a position to say, well, yes, Falcons are a good team now. You know, how many times over the years have we been able to, to say that? But the, the problem is, is that, yes, we are a good team, but 
the league table doesn't necessarily reflect that. That's entirely our own fault because we're not, when we do win, we don't get that fourth try after we go through whole halves with not scoring any points. And then when we lose, we just don't get that losing bonus point. You saw other teams, for example, Sale get two losing, losing bonus points. Irish got another losing bonus point. And, you know, Irish are on a 10-game winless streak. But they've always got the same amounts of points as us, even though they haven't won all season. And unfortunately, you know, in a league table, this does obviously all, all add up and it's becoming a real problem for us. And we, we have to like stop this sooner rather than later. Otherwise, we're going to have a, despite our performances, it's going to be a frustrating season because it, the, the league table is just not going to show the kind of improvement we're making. And I don't think we're going to finish bottom. I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, otherwise we're sort of looking at a 10th, 9th sort of place finish, which I think possibly over the course of the season might be a bit unfair on us. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, we have to see those games out. It's decision making, like questioning that box kick at the very at the very end from Norny Clemente. I mean, young lads come on, but uh, before then, I thought it was fine. I mean, obviously, I suspect he was under instruction to kick it. But you know, where was where were the older heads to say, you know, let's just play a couple of phases here, let's just kick it out and come away with what would have been slightly disappointing bonus point, but a really really valuable one, which has been very rare for us this season. It's just kind of that experience and that sort of know-how streetwise or at the other end, killer instinct to grab those extra points, which are going to be absolutely crucial. I, I don't think there's much more to add to the game, really. Um, there's very much we're in it and then we weren't in it and it's purely due to our own fault. One positive, I think, was Brand's performance and the fact he came from unscathed. Um, I wasn't sure kind of what to expect. Obviously, we know how, how much how good a player he is and what he can bring. But obviously he's been out a few weeks and not exactly the easiest game to make your competitive debut. But he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant with the high ball. Obviously it was nice to see him get a, get his debut try. I'm sure many more to come. But what signing I think he's going to turn out to be if that's just like a taste of what, what he can offer. And Earl as well. I thought Earl was brilliant again with the high ball. And he did really add an option which we, we were missing last season. So both of them, I think, were positive. And I think Stevenson possibly had his best game at centre as well. And he capped it off with a really, really good finish, wasn't it, in the corner of the first half. Um, so I think there were some positives to take out. But as we've said, it was ultimately disappointing and frustrating. A couple of uh, talking points of the match. One of them, I think, when Conan got that high shot from Maitland, initially the... the TMO, I think, advised it should just be a penalty. And then the referee, I think it was Tempest was referee. He wanted a, a closer look at it. And it's one of the ones where at the start of last season, it would have been a red card. Now it seems that they're giving these ones as yellows. And I feel like ever since that decision, he then tried to even the game up by giving maybe harsh penalties against us. I don't know what one of these subconscious things, whether it's just me being playing victim card, I don't know. But um, I did feel that once that decision was given, the game turned in Saracen's favour. Well, it's, I guess it's like what Dino says in his post-match comments, isn't it, about how, and he has said this a few times, I don't know if it's an excuse or if it is a genuinely valid reason, it could be either, I guess, depending on the game. But um, in that sometimes the referee does get a, something in his head in terms of which team is infringing whether that's right right or wrong in this case he obviously thought that Saracens were were on top in certain aspects and that sort of contributed to, to pinging us um, I also thought actually we another way where perhaps we were our techs of our own downfall and that we were doing more errors more handling errors than I think we have done previously this season and maybe that was because we were forcing the game a bit more had to force the game a bit more and of course the pressure obviously trying to get something away in Saracens or all that combined but we had more handling errors creeping in which we haven't seen so far this season so hopefully obviously those can be eradicated as well going forward yeah um, once again Radwan was completely marked out of the game 
he barely got ball in hand at all and he made one good little jinky run midway through the second half and then passed it to Lukok who didn't realise he was on the touchline to walk off the pitch so it was kind of one of these ones where once again I think if I was Radwan I'd be incredibly frustrated the way that there's never any space in front of me I think that teams obviously work that out but we should use that as our strength elsewhere because there should be holes elsewhere on the park but it just doesn't seem quite to be to be being utilised yeah maybe that links to sort of the current weakness we have at centres where they can't generate that, that space and so I mean it could be a sort of shift of a mindset where Radwan you don't expect him to make all the yards every time but he does suck men in and that maybe that does create more space for the centres, but the centres aren't kind of whether they're just not used to it or they're not that, or they're not good enough to do that at this stage to, to you know, to make use of, of that space or to have a plan in which that just space can be generated. So yeah, as you said, I think teams are starting to sort of work out what Radwan's all about, which you know I guess is fairly obvious, but easier said than done to try and mark about the game. But again, Saracens did well, but thankfully I thought he's pretty good in the high ball. His defence was again was pretty good, but. Obviously, we need more from him, and it's not his fault. But I think as a team and as a coaching staff, we need to find ways in games like this to, to get the best use out of him because, you know, he is our best attacking asset. Speaking of coaching staff, um, one interesting little side point. Joe Shaw is now the head coach of Saracens. Those of us a memory of casting back probably 10 or 15 years now. I remember him uh, playing fullback for the Falcons when he had a head of curly locks as opposed to his baldy head now. But I wonder whether... Him, Mickey Ward and Dave Waldo had a little reunion over a pint after the match because um, they'll all have played together at a certain point in time. So as we just mentioned earlier on the podcast, we're joined by Pete from Bears Beyond the Gate. Um, that's the Bristol equivalent of Folk on Falcons podcast. So thank you very much, Pete. Um, like us at the weekend, you threw away a good start and ended up without much from the game. Yep, it was uh, it was certainly a bit of a shocker for us. I mean, uh, we were 21-0 up. Um and uh, yeah, to be fair, I don't know if any of your listeners watched the game, but we were we were good value for that as well. And and in and actually started the second half very strongly. Um, and then it just it just all unraveled, and it became very much like well, it, it wasn't like the semi final in in the um, uh, in June uh, where obviously that happened before against Quinns. This one was it, it was a total unraveling. Whereas it was still a little bit nip and tuck in the second half in the semi final when we had chances to win it at the end. So yeah, it was a pretty sobering experience, um, particularly since we were all <laughs> quite excited uh, after the after the first fifty minutes. So do you think it's a case of Harlequins were exceptionally good, or perhaps you guys? It was your own fault that it went a bit south. Well, it's funny because we we basically described the semi-final defeat in the summer as Bristol losing, the Bears losing rather than Harlequins winning. And I think what we said was that we kind of left the door slightly open and then they bulldozed through. And, and to a certain extent, that happened again yesterday. Um, you know, they they but you know, we 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 provided them with a context again to uh, to, to win that game and, and undoubtedly they are an incredibly talented side and I think uh, Marcus Smith coming on in, uh, in midway through the first half had a big di- had a big impact on the game uh, but like anything in rugby there are so many little crucial decisions or crucial not decisions by the ref but crucial decisions by players that that could be different on another day and then if a team has the ability to exploit that like Harlequins did and then suddenly it unravels and to be honest I it wasn't as it wasn't a 50 nil a 50 point game we we were in that game for a lot longer but i can only really pay pay 
pay tribute to them. I mean, they have got some exciting players. And if they get a chance, you know, if they get an inch, they take they take about 500 miles, don't they? I mean, if, if you look at your first few games of the season and if you can bear look at the, the league table, I mean, obviously you must be pretty shocked, disappointed. It's really surprised that's how your season's gone. I mean, can you kind of put your finger on that? Is it perhaps a hangover from, obviously, last season's disappointment? Is that still affecting the players? Can you kind of give our listeners sort of a, a bit of an idea of sort of what's going on there at the moment? Yeah, I mean, obviously, this has been the subject of much debate in the West Country. Uh, well, our bit of the West Country. Um, I think it's a combination of factors. I think we are a weakest squad because we lost um, Ben Earl and, and Max Malins went back to Saracens. We, we, we've uh, Siali Piatau moved on. Um, and, and actually, as recently has been reported, Semi Randrander is now injured again until June, January. Um, we didn't really replace those players. Um, the second thing is, we, although we had a settled pre-season, we didn't have any pre-season games. We had a, a proper pre-season games. We had a behind-closed-doors run-around against Hartbury College, and we had a kind of inter-club game. And we were assured by, the, by Pat Lamb, actually, that that was not a problem. And uh, clearly, the first two games of the season, we did look undercooked. I think playing Saracens in the first game didn't help because we tried to play their game and, and although we actually were, were in quite in control for at least quite a lot of that game, we just, as you found out yesterday, we just got suffocated by them. So it wasn't a great start. The Wasp game, that was poor. That was just, we just made so many mistakes. Uh, we just, every time, we couldn't build any pressure. We were knocking on, uh, turning over the ball, giving away penalties. But, you know, we were at least trying to play. And then, I mean, at the Bath game, it started pretty bad as well. But we, we managed to somehow find a way to win that. And then yesterday, yeah, um, you know, it was uh, it didn't go well. I mean, I think the reality was that we aren't as good as we think we are. And I think last season we were we finished higher than we should have done. I think we, we were on the, we won quite a few games that in another time we may have lost. So I, I think where there's been a bit of rebalancing with Bristol, we're still we're still a team in development. Uh, we're still building our squad. Um, and I think we're, you know, every other team has, has perhaps added a bit more that this season. So I, I think we're kind of just seeing a bit of a rebalancing the force. Am I worried? Yeah, I am worried. Of course you're worried when your team ships 50 points, but I just think it's a long season and think about where Harlequins were this time last year. I mean, they started pretty badly and they ended up champions. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm confident that we have a, a structure in place at our club that that encourages young players to come through. We've got a fantastic stadium. We've got a big support. We've got a great training ground, and we've got you know Pat Lamb is 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 under a bit of pressure, but I mean he's a top quality coach. So and and of course there's no relegation. So you know realistically we we could actually use this season to kind of go. I, I suspect go back a few steps in order to go forwards again. So you mentioned there um, a few players which obviously not got available or have moved on from the club. Um, are there any young players coming through or other areas where we think, oh, this is a good player who's come into form this year? Um, so perhaps a few names that we should watch out for at the weekend. 
Well, we got a young back rower called Fitz Harding who played yesterday, and he was he was he was fantastic yesterday. I mean, he made one stupid mistake in the second half where he shoved one of the players, and and Wayne Barnes like just suddenly decided to become sort of schoolmaster for no apparent reason and gave them a penalty right on our line. But apart from that, he was dynamic. He's mobile. He's he made he basically made Nathan Hughes look like he may as well go off to France to be honest, which is on the cards. So Fitz Harding, I, I expect, will be playing in the back row. So it'd be interesting because he's very he's young, he's fast, he's mobile, and obviously you you know you've got a couple of grizzly old boys in there. So it might be be interesting to see how he deals with that. Um, I mean, the, the, we've had to with the with the injury to uh, Semi Randranja, we've we're, we're now starting with a, a centre partnership of of Sam Bedlow and Piers O'Connor. Now Piers. O'Connor played a lot last season, but but Sam Bedlow was very much a squad player. Um, you know, he's going to get a run in the run in the, the team, I guess. And he is a decent player. He's solid and he's got a big boot on him. Um, but we do have a we did sign a French guy called Antoine Friche uh, from the French second division who was on the bench against Bath, but then wasn't in the squad yesterday. But I suspect that he may well be in the squad for your game and we don't know much about him his youtube highlights look quite good so we'll see maybe Antoine, we may have a bit of french flair coming into the side on saturday but apart from that i guess pat will probably stick with his standard uh picks at the moment which are you know our, our players that have played quite a lot but but harding bedlow and maybe antoine frisch you should look out for good stuff and then um as we've alluded to, the season hasn't quite gone according to plan for you guys so far. If there's one or two areas which Falcons have got to try and exploit next weekend, um, what would you say they are? And um, do you think we've got the capability to get in behind you at all? Or are there particular t- tactics which you think could work quite well? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you, <laughs> you know, we're not brilliant against a rush defence, and we're not, and we're not brilliant when players get isolated. So we got we got mullered at the breakdown yesterday as well, Friday night as well. So I mean, I think you know we will try and play it wide. We always do. So if you can target, you know, play at the wingers that are getting isolated and and target the breakdown there and get turnover ball and then whip it out to the likes of Adam Adam Radwan, then you know who knows. I just think you've got to go full in on us, target the breakdown, try and get turnovers, get it out to your pacey people. And you know, I I I genuinely think it will be a close game. I think it will be a, an interesting game for the rugby purist, but I think it, and I think you've got a chance. You've got, you, there's no reason why you shouldn't be confident that you've got a chance to win on Saturday, given, given kind of where we are at the moment. And if I gave you a fiver to go down to the betting shop, what would you say the score is going to be? Having said that, I think we'll win. So I, I think it'll be close, but I think it might be a kind of not much more than 20 points. For I think it could be a sort of 2015 win to Bristol. That's what I'm going to go for. So maybe a losing bonus point for the Falcons. I think, I think a losing bonus, bonus point for you and just a win for us. Okay. I think just a win is what I think anyone will be happy with at the minute. But yeah. <laughs> So it's an interesting point made before actually about the lack of pre-season because that's a point I remember raising a couple of weeks ago as to perhaps why we were, well, as to why we were very surprised in terms of your defeat to Wasps and brought up the point saying, oh, I don't think Bristol actually had a proper pre-season. Um, so, I, you know, it's good, I suppose, for you to sort of confirm that was indeed the case. But you also mentioned, obviously, a very long way to go, but do you see yourself still challenging for the title or do you think even at this early stage, you've seen enough to think that that's just not going to happen this season? 
it's difficult that one. I mean, my instinct at the moment is we've got to reset our expectations, and and we, you know, Europe, <laughs> Champions Cup is really now top six. I, we, I, I think we could still aim for top four, but I think the next few games will will decide that. Uh, I think it, we may have to reset. So it's a really tricky one. It's hard to say at the moment. It doesn't feel like it at all, but it is a long season. So who knows? So I'm going to say top six. <laughs> I think um, that's something that uh, we'd be happy with, top six and top four. I think uh, busy heights, we might get a nosebleed if we were up there. So best of luck the rest of the season. And thank you very much, Pete. It's been a pleasure as always. Great. Nice to talk to you, boys. And good luck Saturday. We'll, uh, I'll, I'll probably be on the socials with you. Yes, best of luck, but not too much. <laughs> Cheers. So in the wider rugby world this week, initially we didn't think there was too much to talk about, but then when we uh, racked our brains a bit, we realised there's actually a couple of things. One that I'm particularly pleased about is um, I, I suffer from a, a very, very limiting disability. Throughout my uh, rugby career, it's been a huge problem, and that's colour blindness. There's been times when I've had a referee wearing a purple top when I've been playing teams in blue, and I've had to ask them to put a jumper on and they give you this blank stare, not knowing that you can't see the difference in blue and purple properly. And World Rugby have decided that teams aren't going to be able to play in red and green. Um, so that's going to mean that when Wales play Ireland in the Six Nations, I'll be able to tell the players apart, not because of where they're standing, but because of what colour shirts they're wearing. It's one of these things where other people probably don't appreciate it, but it's incredibly annoying. And it happens more often than you think for those strip clashes. And given that about something like one in 20 men has a certain degree of it, mine's relatively serious. I just think, imagine if you, uh, on an arbitrary basis, said that one in 20 people can come to the game or enjoy the game for other reasons. And there uh, you've got wheelchairs at grounds and all this. And I think it's about bloody time they sorted it out. And they have done, but it's from, the, I think, the 2027 World Cups when they're going to introduce it across the board. I don't know why it takes them six years to work it out. But, yeah, overall, pleased with that. Good news. Tick in the box. Another thing, um, last week, Tom Penny, obviously he got the red card for making contact with Gopathsai and the disciplinary hearing came in on, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday this week for that one. He's ended up with a two-game ban, which I think is um, relatively fortunate. It was, it was the lowest end of the spectrum. They halved it because of his good behaviour record and he got a severe reprimand for asking the referee if he was having a laugh. It's probably fair enough. It, it, was, it was in danger of making his ban a bit longer, but they treated it as a separate instant, so it wasn't compounding the other ban. Yeah, I mean, my reaction to that was, actually, that's not too bad. Um, you know, I think the way it was, because it was, if he, if it was class as contact with the eye, then we could be looking at a, a pretty long pretty long ban. But actually, I think, as I say, it's a very sort of bottom end of the scale. I think they must have taken, maybe they did take, uh, Gopov sort of actions into consideration and as you say maybe he's good behaviour but I think Penny and the club sort of got away with that a little bit and I think we all knew he was going to get a little reprimand for, for his uh, sly comment towards the referee we got sent up. On the RFE website you can actually read the um, Kangaroo Court Disciplinary Committee and it's quite interesting if you read Tom Penny's case because within it they can't work out whether it's deliberate or not deliberate contact with the eye. If you read it there's references to it not being deliberate, and there's no intent to cause contact with the eye. In other parts, it says, because there's intentional contact with the eye, he's received a ban. It's one of these ones where, if you read it, it doesn't, doesn't really make sense. But I guess what they're saying is, he deliberately hit him in the head, and he made contact with the eye, but he didn't deliberately make contact with the eye. I, I, I assume that's what they mean. It's a bit, of a, a bit of a funny one when you read it, and it seems to me like it's riddled with inconsistencies. But yeah, as you say, I think two weeks kind of will take it it's better to take it than kick up a stink and potentially get it extended it wouldn't surprise you if actually copy and paste sort of whole parts of that for all the from all the other different hearings so as you say they may say oh well deliberate contact with head but because probably not deliberate contact with eye then they sort of 
when they copy and paste it, they kind of take the different relevant parts, just stick it together and think, ah, oh, well, who's going to read it? You know, that'll do. Um, of course, not knowing that somewhat eagle-eyed here is going to read it. But um, yeah, no, as we say, I think we've been fortunate to kind of get away with that one. And uh, I suppose back sooner rather than later, but of course he has a challenger of that position now after Brown's excellent performance. So that'll be going forward. We'll have that interesting competition fullback that we thought we always would have at the start of the season. Also elsewhere in the rugby world, the European fixtures have been re- released. Uh, the time dates all apart from our Buritz game. Would you like to inform us of what they are in? Yeah, so um, our first round one fixture um, is confirmed for Friday, 10th of December. So there you go, it's a Friday night game under the floodlights in December. Take a, take that as you will, um, probably take a few layers, I think. Um, and then we don't actually take part in round two. So our next fixture is, as you say, it's the round three game where it'd be a ritz. Now, it's interesting when you look at all the other games listed they've all sort of got kickoff times confirmed and stadiums confirmed however there is still no confirmation of time or place for this game um and i know there's a few of us who are keen to go to both of those games have a, a week in france but um are still sort of holding off booking that because you know do we get the year started Lille or do we end up having another flight to bordeaux or somewhere um so yeah there's still no confirmation of that one yet um, however, our round four game is confirmed, which is, of course, the game a week later away to Toulon. And that is, interestingly, which they do have this a lot in France, evening kickoff. And it's a Saturday evening kickoff, which is, I believe, 9 p.m. French time. So it's to be 8, 8 p.m. in the UK. Um, so those games have been confirmed. They haven't confirmed time for uh, the Zebra game yet, but obviously that's right at the end of the season. So at least there's been some sort of confirmation. But it's confirmation of games you already sort of knew the details pretty much really and we still wait as we say for that beer it's time and place so hopefully sooner rather than later because um, i want to get my flights booked you know i want to get this sorted yeah and then uh last week we mentioned also peterson was featuring for the usa we're going to end up losing him for a couple more games it seems because uruguay turned around the uh defeating the first leg of that one to i think they thrashed him in about 50 points to 24 or something like that so uruguay beat usa so that means uruguay they're now qualified for the next Rugby World Cup in 2023. And then Canada got knocked out by Chile. So there's almost like a repercharge, second bite of the cherry, if you want, for USA. They now play Chile for the final World Cup qualifying spot from the Americas. So I don't think Chile have played in the World Cup before. They're one of these South American nations. Well, they've always played a bit of rugby, similar to Uruguay, but they've never really had it in a professional setup. It's been amateur, much like Argentina was. Uh, nationally until just a few years ago when the Jaguaras performed. Yeah, it's one of these ones where quite a big shock that Canada haven't qualified. And I think if, if Chile do qualify, then you've got Chile, Argentina and Uruguay all from South America. So I think as, as far as the game goes, it's certainly a, a shift in the power because it's always been USA and Canada for the Americas in the past, really, that have been the, the big hitters. But it would be nice in a way to see some different teams get into the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, it's the first World Cup Canada haven't qualified. Just goes to show sort of the achievement. It was interesting, those games uh, with the first leg, rather, of those games. So the team that won, so both the USA and Canada from the first legs, were only winning on aggregate about a point or two. And it's interesting, as you say, in both of the reverse fixtures, both Uruguay and Chile won pretty convincingly in their games. But yeah, it's quite a shock to have not Canada there. I mean, you'd still probably expect USA to, to beat Chile, but who knows? Um, I mean, you talk about, you know, it's it's great for, you know, for the upcoming game in South America. But, you know, you would have thought with um, the Americans, with, you know, the MLR and everything and all this, the, the, the attention that's getting and no doubt 
their game has improved because of that league. The first World Cup where they could arguably use you know, the benefits of, of playing regularly in that league, they just won't be there. So that, I think that'd be quite a hammer blow for them. Of course it will be if they don't qualify for the World Cup. But as you say, it would be would it, on the other flip side, it also could help the game in that you do have Chile. But obviously you can only have one of them. And I do expect uh, USA to get through that. But as you say, for us selfishly um no won't be about Peterson for uh, a few more weeks I suppose so we'll just do a quick roundup of the the weekend results from the national and local fixtures on Friday night it was probably one of the best games of rugby I've ever seen in my adult life especially I've seen a, a few club games that are very good but this one was almost like a club game sort of mentality on a professional pitch it was absolutely exhilarating the Harlequins versus Bristol game Bristol with 21 points to nil up after about 20 minutes or so. Then Alan from Harlequins got injured the fly half. Marcus Smith came on and talked about changing a game. It ended up 52 points to 24 in Harlequins' favour. And there were not just lots of tries scored, there were a great number of excellent tries. And a lot of these tries um, weren't due to poor defending. It was just extremely audacious and brilliant rugby. So if you if you get the chance to watch the replay of that or the highlights, um, I'd advise it basically the whole 80 minutes could be in a highlight package as far as I'm concerned. It was brilliant to watch. Um, on Saturday, alongside our 37-point-23 defeat to Saracens at the Stonex Arena, um, Exeter thrashed Worcester 42-5. Sam Simmons getting on the score sheet a couple of times. Gloucester beat Sale 33 points to 32, with Sale picking up two leading bonus points. And London Irish lost to Leicester 16 points to 21. Finally, um, as it stands, uh, Wasps are due to uh, face Northampton today. That match kicking off at three o'clock today being Sunday. Um, that means that the table is as follows. Leicester are at the top of the table with 100% record, 18 points. Harlequins and Northampton have played one fewer games, but also have 100% records. So they're on 15 and 13 in second and third, respectively. Gloucester are fourth with 11. Exeter and Saracens joint on 10. Uh, Us and Sale joint on 9. Then in ninth place, you've got Worcester with 7. Wasps then and London Irish both have 6. Bristol only have 4 points. And Bath yet to win a game. But they have got 3 losing bonus points with 3 points. Bit of a local roundup. Um, Darlington, Pitt, Bishop, Stortford, 33 points to 32 in National League One. Um, in League Two North, Bladen got absolutely hammered by Sedgley Park, 66 points to 16. And Tyndale lost out by a point at Chester, losing 32 points to 31. And it had a very good result in the North Premier, uh, beating Lim, 52 points to 21. And then uh, there were no Durham Northumberland Division One games this weekend. Um, and just the one in Dunnethorne Division 2, where Ashington beat CM 52 points to 24. Um, I think then you've got Division 3 matches where there were points galore. I think um, pick of the week has to go to Gosforth, they beat Jerovians 96 points to 5. But also West End got possibly the highest ever victory in the competitive fixture with 83 points to nil winners over South Shields. So that rugby roundup rounds up this week's episode. So thank you very much for listening. Bye, everyone.